Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. Bridge differences with mediation. Yeah. Okay, I shall uh, click record. So that's us recording. I'll, I'll obviously be able to cut out uh, bits at the, the, the start and the finish, so don't worry about that. <coughs> okay. So hello and welcome to Video Cam and Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. My name's Scott Doherty and I'm here today with Sue Atkins. Uh, Sue is a parenting expert and coach uh, is, and is the best-selling author of uh, Parenting Made Easy, Raising Children for Dummies and also talking to children about divorce. Uh, she worked for 22 years as a class teacher and deputy head and developed on from that to become, amongst other things, uh, a qualified life coach uh, and an NLP master practitioner and trainer. Uh, she appears regularly in uh, Sky, BBC's radio and in ITV's This Morning show. Uh, and quite hypnotically, uh, has also appeared uh, alongside Paul McKenna. So welcome, Sue. Well, thank you very much for having me. Excellent. So we're talking today, Sue, about uh, parenting apart um, and also talking to kids after separation. And also um, we might come on to talking about how coaching it might help. So it's such a, a huge subject, of course, Sue, but to begin with, um, we've talked in other interviews about how best to design the living arrangements, um, in other words, by discussion if possible. Um, but while those discussions or arguments are ongoing uh, between the co-parents, uh, and while everything's still up in the air and not yet settled, in general terms, what should those parents be thinking about and how they talk uh, with the kids about what's going on? Hmm. I think it's very important that you get this right. I mean, I actually work quite often with parents just for an hour to get them to think about how they're going to tell their children, what they're going to tell their children, where they're going to be, um, you know, in the sitting room. Is it after dinner? Uh, is it on a Friday? Don't do it on a Sunday evening before you go back to school. I mean, that's a major life change and you just can't dump it on the kids so you have to plan it uh, you have to think about what you're going to say your tone of voice some of the uh, reassurances that you can give children I, I get some of the parents I work with to draw a circle on a piece of paper put some spokes into it and usually there's about seven sort of spokes there and you can write in there some assurances that you can give the children uh, things that will stay the same that you know because everything's up in the air but if they know that they're going to stay at the same school or they're going to see grandma or they're going to play with Emily on a Wednesday like they always do then I think you've got some sort of basis to sort of start focusing on what will stay the same don't make false promises because of course you don't know what's going to happen a lot of the time so don't sort of because you will betray their trust. Yeah. And trust is a very yeah. important thing for children and for us all, of course. Uh, so don't overpromise, but certainly offer some reassurances. Uh, take your time to think about what you'd like to say. Have some bullet points because also if you've got it written down, it's a very emotional thing and you sit down and you start to tell your children something. So if you've got a piece of paper almost, it, it can take away the overwhelm and the bursting into tears moment, which is natural, but also not very reassuring for your, say, seven or eight-year-old or 15-year-old to see you in pieces. So it's very helpful that if you can do some things together, I know that, you know, you are separating, but if you can do this together, then the children can see that um, there are some reassurances from dad and mum and that we're going to work together to try and make this um, process as painless as we possibly can. Sure. And then when you've done it, um, just 
relax and, and offer the idea of other, you know, what questions might you have. Some children burst into tears, want to hug, want to cuddle. Other children just go, oh, okay, and get up and walk away and then appear to have been affected. So you, you never know how your child or your children will take it. Uh, they may react in different ways. So again, don't have any expectations of that, but be there for them when they want to talk to you. So for example, um, a teenager might appear to be okay with it and then come and sit on the end of your bed at 11 o'clock at night when you've gone to bed with hot cocoa and a book. <laughs> the wise parent puts the book down and goes let's chat okay what do you want you know let's share what do you want to share so it's being available and open to them when they feel the need to want to talk about it because as you know I've written an article that's quite popular it's about the seven stages of going through a divorce a bit like going through bereavement and grief and loss there'll be anger despair all sorts denial and everyone will be on a different of those seven phases that I believe there are um there will be everybody on a different set of that somebody might be stuck in anger someone's in denial someone is in shock someone's at relief um so allow yourself and your family to go through the process i always say the divorce is a process and it's not an event yeah Uh, so be led by your children if you put the children at the heart of all of this process then and and their well-being and their mental health and their stability then i don't think you can go too far wrong well, that, that's, that's sound advice, and um, obviously a great deal of this is uh, preparation um, uh, and thinking about uh, the kids from their point of view as much as possible. But let, let's break down a little uh, about what you were saying there. In a great many mediations that I've conducted, one of the first issues on the agenda uh, has been how much time the kids should spend with each parent. So, so let's say that the kids haven't seen one of their parents for a while, uh, and the two parents at the moment just don't really communicate. In your experience, how does that tend to play out for the kids themselves? Well, what I feel that parents don't always do, and that's why I like it when they work with me, is to realise that they are creating a blueprint for their children in relationships, in love, and in um, conflict. They're watching and listening and learning from you all the time. So you have to sort of overcome some of these um, difficulties. You have to see it as a business transaction almost, which is somewhat a big transition from being married to someone or you know, living with someone. Um, But it's also about what is the best thing for the child? When you look at time, they need to be able to spend quality and good time with their dad or their mum. And they need it to be doing the ordinary thing. So many parents that I work with um, can be the situation where mum, they're living with mum, and then they go and see dad and he, you know, almost like takes them to Disney World and climbs Kilimanjaro and they do all extraordinary things. But sometimes it's, it's worth remembering it's the ordinary that children need as well from you. They're doing the homework, eating the broccoli, but spending time with their other parent is very, very important because, you know, you have to take the long-term view. Try and park up your anger and animosity and frustration and disappointment and all the rest of it and focus on what is the best thing for the child and try and then get that communication with your partner. If It's not easy, that, and I do some techniques and strategies working with families on that stuff, but actually to try and make sure that the time between them 
is shared out as best as possible. I, I do something, as you probably know, is called a parenting plan. And we sit down and we absolutely look at everything from birthdays to Christmas to weekends. And now, of course, co-parenting can be such that it's not, you know, every other weekend. It can be seriously. I've got a client at the moment working out this real 50-50, which requires a bit of juggling and a bit of give and take on, on each other's behalf. But because the children are at the centre of the process, then they feel that it's important that they spend quality time with each part, you know, with each parent. Sure, sure. Obviously, in that situation, though, sometimes it might be a struggle for one of the parents to, to get to that stage uh, that they are able yeah. to discuss. Um, so, you know, let's say that the, the parents have been locked in conflict um, and uh, that the for example, the, the parents might um, agree that the living arrangements uh, should change. Sometimes they don't come to an agreement and the court says that the arrangements should change. So regardless of what is being discussed, if things are in flux um, and thinking about the age and the development of the, the children, how can parents assess how much information to give to their, chil their child or the children uh, as all these arrangements well, are changing? yes. Well, I've just written, well, I've just edited it, actually. Um, ages and stages, it's called Kids and Divorce, Ages and Stages. Because what you say to a three-year-old is very different to what you say to a 13-year-old because they have different cognitive abilities and understanding. Uh, and so it's very important to actually think about those ages and stages, what a child can take in, what information is necessary how mature is your child um what do you, you know your child better than anyone in the world what sort of information do you think would be helpful to them don't be their friend and unpack all sorts of stuff that they really don't need to know and be mindful that don't and this is not easy right but don't criticize the other parents in front of them because that is their dad or it is their mum uh, and I, I feel if you get clear about what you want to say, how you want to say it, what you think your child is able to uh, understand and accept and drip it because sometimes you drip it in because sometimes you don't know the answers to some of these things either. Um, but if you are quietly confident, uh, appear somewhat positive and kind of in control of the situation, even though you're probably all over the place, but if you can give that air of confidence, your children will, will take that from you unconsciously and feel more reassured and less anxious and insecure so yeah have a look at that article because um i remember having a client that they thought they did everything right with the three-year-old uh they you know they thought of the time they explained what was going to happen and then the little kiddie's bottom lip sort of went because she said well well who's going to look after me Ugh. she didn't understand you know she thought they were both going uh, and again uh, it's the same thing with a 13 or 14 or 18 year old, uh, give them information that is enough, but not too much. And also park up your own problems, really. They don't need to know some of the stuff. They, they are your children, no matter how old they are. And I personally went through this experience myself when my children were 20 and 18. So uh, I know firsthand how challenging it can be, but I think I always thought it was important. They on a need to know thing and um, yeah. they don't always need to know everything but reassurance is the key thing here and simple instructions about what's happening next week and next month and perhaps next year keep it simple i call it kiss keep it simple and straightforward yeah, yeah so so that's that's interesting you're talking about the kind of information you're passing and i presume then um it, obviously after a separation you want to speak to someone 
uh, about the, the emotional things that are going on, but what you're saying is that perhaps it's best not to use the children for that and use someone else, perhaps. No, and time and time again, you know, I, I do see parents sort of offloading onto a child when really that's not the job of the child. The other thing is, uh, I also see a lot of... Uh, people who of course talk to their friends and they go out and they have a chat and they have a couple of bottles of wine and you know it goes in circles and then they blame the part the opposite partner because they're friends of yours and they want to support you but that doesn't actually move you forward and sometimes that pity party and that kind of victim stuff and that it fuels the anger which really doesn't serve anybody long term and that's why i'm the sort of sounding board i i ask the questions to help people find the answers to move themselves forward in a kind of a positive and healthy way it should feel like a conversation when people are chatting to me but actually there's a purpose to my conversation with them and it is to give you clarity direction and confidence in some of these major decisions that you're making because you're making big ones and small ones they're overwhelming from the legal to the house to the childcare to do I go back to work who's who's going to get the lawnmower I mean it's a massive massive unpicking and so it does require um, some support emotionally around some of those things because you've got to get it right you know you, you want to make a decision today not in anger or fear that will actually sort out your children's and your life going forward short term medium term and the long term and you want to turn around and look back perhaps when your children are getting married uh, in 10 years 20 years or however many years and look back and say well I think I did it as best I could and they're not unduly damaged by it because children are not damaged necessarily by divorce. They are damaged by the conflict that they experience and the things they hear. So you want to try and get that right. Um, there's no perfect answer. We're not perfect. It's tough. But try and do it with dignity. And I always say, you know, divorce with dignity is the, the, the aim of the whole thing, really. Sure, sure. I, I suppose, you know, it, it's, it's thinking about how parents start uh, down that, that path of, of divorcing or separating with dignity, uh, let's say, you know, the, the advice that they're getting um, is that they need to start communicating for the sake of their kids, but they're just finding it so difficult in practice. You, you know, they know the theory, they know they're supposed to be acting dignified, but how do they start, you think, people who are so distracted with the conflict, how do they start to think about how to communicate with each other in a civil way? That's a very good question. I, I do something called emotional freedom technique, which is uh, another thing called tapping, um, where you tap out your anger and it starts to reduce your body in terms of some of the vitriolic and incandescent anger I described mine as at one point, <laughs> uh, which is very unhelpful, but you've got to go out and pound the streets, go for a run, hit a golf club, hit a pillow. You've got to acknowledge that you're in that stage of enormous anger and whatever it is you're going through. Uh, and it's not easy, but... That's why working with someone like myself or someone else that is supporting you, whoever you choose to do this with, um, helps you move through anger. I remember talking to a client and he came to see me and he had been separated for, I don't know, about nine years or something and hadn't divorced. But he said he was in anger for five years. Well, what a waste of time and energy of his own life. Because yeah. you can't move forward if you're in such anger. And I do understand that because I'm a very passionate person. I have strong emotions. But then you have to work your way through it. And I always talk 
about doing the work. Uh, sometimes people jump too quickly into another relationship as well, where they're just going to repeat those patterns. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to take stock, take a step back, um, just take a breath and look at what's happened and think about how do I shift from this anger? What is this anger about? I mean, I've written, there's thousands of articles I've written on my blogs and I wrote about anger, whether it's through divorce or generally when you get angry with kids or whatever it might be. So have a listen to the podcast or look at the article because habitual anger is actually going to damage you. It's going to make you ill. It's going to give you dis-ease because you're not at ease with yourself. And it's certainly not going to be good for your children. Initially, you might use it as rocket fuel to get you through the next stage or to get you through through this very challenging process and difficult time. But if you have it constantly, I think it's advisable to go and do some work around it and look at how to release it so that you can move forward in your own life. But it is a process and everybody's very different. But five years of anger is not a good thing for anybody. I'm uh, just thinking about how to address that. And you mentioned something about tapping there, which I was interested, yes. but do you want to expand a little on that? Yes, it's, um, we lock in emotions into our body um, and, you know, it can, be, it can be anger, it can be fear, it can be any strong emotion, it kind of stays stuck in your body. And through doing something called tapping, which is emotional freedom technique, you start to release physically some of those things in your body. So when I've worked with clients, um, we start, uh, I've even worked with kids who are angry in school, I use it for all sorts of things actually. But when you've got real, you know, real anger and real frustration, um, and you can start to, you know, you focus on it and you start to tap your different parts of your body. And for some extraordinary reason, it just neuro pathways, it starts to release the anger so that some people then yawn when they finish. Some people cry. Uh, some people, you know, just go, well, okay, I feel better. Uh, but from that place, then you can start the work towards healing from the journey looking at things in a different light looking at things more calmly where you make better decisions when you're not angry you know you can really make some good decisions from that calmer place so that's sort of that's i mean that i find that to be an extraordinary thing i also use something called nlp which you know, it's neuro-linguistic programming, study of excellent communication. We look at reframing some of that anger, what's causing it, how do we chip away at reducing it for you, so that, again, whatever angle, it, I've got a wide variety of toolkit, uh, loads of training, but I look at whatever it is for you. Where are you stuck? What can I do to help unpick that bit so you can start to make progress yourself? Because if you're in a good place, your kids are going to be in a good place too. Yeah. And also discipline will improve. Happiness will improve. Family uh, dynamics will improve if you're not storing up all sorts of very strong emotions that are damaging to yourself and to your children. It's very interesting uh, way of looking at it because if you people who are separating, you tend to find that a lot of the advice out there is, well, how you deal with the legal side of it or how you deal with the other person. But what you're saying is there's a lot to be said for looking oh. at yourself. Oh, no, my whole thing, my whole passion is the emotional side of this journey. Um, of course you need a, a legal advice. I do advise people to take legal advice, to get financial advice. One of the key things, I, I, I've done some videos called Divorce Step by Step, and it's about my own journey and, and what did I need to do? Because I'm very goal focused and I'm very trained in doing small steps so that I get to the bigger goal. And boy, do you have a lot of 
decisions to make when you divorce. So you get overwhelmed. So you need to make legal decisions, financial decisions, emotional decisions. So for me, underpinning all of that is if you're not in a good mental state, if you're very fragile or very angry or very distressed, uh, you're not going to be making good dis decisions for yourself or for your children going forward. So I'm very much of that support. I'm here to nurture, uh, champion, believe in the person, help them unpick all the knots. And I just take one knot at a time. And then you go, well, now you need to do the form E, which is, you know, oh, my God, the form E is just harrowing, I found. Uh, so you've got, to, you've got to get psyched up for that. So that might be one session with me is let's look at how you're going to emotionally cope with quite a complicated form filling exercise. And then you reward yourself when you've done a section of it. Go and have a latte or go for a run. I'm not saying go for a glass of wine all the time. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, pat yourself on the back you are doing a difficult thing and you're doing it well and you shouldn't feel that it's too overwhelming and that you're doing it alone. We're all, we've all been through it. Well, not all of us, but quite a few of us have been through it. We know it's difficult, but you can do it. And I, be, I am that sort of champion. And I feel if you're emotionally in good, you know, good health, then other things will fall into place. Yeah. To find out how mediation can help you, follow us at Cam Scotland on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus or visit camscotland.co.uk. And I would certainly highly recommend your uh, the, the videos that you have released. It, it does break it down and it's the advice about taking it step by step. What about though yes. the, um, the situation where you have been looking after yourself and taking it step by step? Um, but you're having difficulty with the, the person on the other side, your co-parent, who hasn't got the message and is continually still trying to kick up the dust. How do you deal with that situation? Yeah, well, not easily. Um, but as you know, I've got divorce conversational cards, which are sort of there to sort of support people, look at the different questions and things. The thing you have to make peace with is you can't control the other person. Uh, you didn't, con you know, you're not together because you've got conflict you've got problems that's why you are separating or divorcing so the ways you've been communicating in the past are not really going to work if you come to the table with the same mode of you know thinking and talking to each other or angry or resentment or whatever um so you have to start to learn to um look at the bigger picture to handling differences in a different way and accept that you can't change the other person. So when the children perhaps go to your ex's house, they may go to bed too late, eat popcorn and, you know, play on the PlayStation or their iPad too long. Now that is tough. And if you can come together at some point and say, let's have some common rules here about bedtimes, homework, I don't know, popcorn or whatever it is you're doing, then it does help. But that doesn't always work. And so you will just do your own head in if you just keep focusing on what he's getting wrong or what she's doing that's driving you mad. Part of the techniques that I use as well is to allow yourself, not easy, but important, to let some of it go. You have to let it go. Your children won't be particularly unduly damaged um, if they go to bed at half past eight instead of eight o'clock at, at the other person's house. But that's not easy because, of course, you know, you can get yourself in a state. But you have to focus on the bigger picture too. Do what you can with your, uh, you know, uh, influence, with your circle of influence. Influence your children with your values. 
with your traditions, with your way of speaking about people. So that the children quite soon, actually, I remember a client of mine, I was very impressed with her. She was divorced and she had three kids and she never, ever criticised the, the father. But when the children got to about 18, they started to make their own minds up because they were adult about behaviour of their, their dad or whatever it was. And she never had to say anything. I thought it was great dignity because also children love their other parent uh, and they don't want to be caught in the crossfire of between the two of you. But that bit isn't easy because, of course, the things they do can really wind you up. But you have to try and learn to let some of that go or you're going to just go mad. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very important point that in a time where everything is completely up in the air, the, the thought would be, well, let's try and control as much as I can. But what you're saying is you've got to learn to understand what you can control and what you can't control possibly. Exactly. But actually, the analogy in one of my books is I use because I'm a Chelsea supporter. Uh, when Jose Mourinho, when he had a good season, not this recent, uh, when he had, but he used to talk very, and I liked his attitude. He said, I can get my players fit. I can control the pitch. I get it into perfect condition. I do training and all the mindset and the psychological stuff. I can't control the weather and I can't control the referee's decision. And I, I was struck by that because I thought, God, that's true. Control what you can control, and then you have to let some of it go. So you will drive yourself mad if you focus on your ex and what they do wrong. Sometimes it's a good little exercise that I do with the people I work with to get them actually to focus on why she's a great mum. And write a, I get them to write a list down of, you know, these are all the traits of, God, she's a great mum, and he's a great dad, and he does this, and I hadn't thought of that. And, and then suddenly you've got it more in perspective. That's what I'm trying to get people back to. Not, oh, my God, aren't they marvellous? It's this kind of sense of, oh, yeah, well, I get it more in perspective, actually, about how they're parenting. Sure, sure. What about the if the kids themselves aren't making life easy? Uh, and with all the... <laughs> the unsettlement, they start to show signs of separation anxiety. Um, the, the parent that the child's clinging to might argue, for example, that despite the agreed or the ordered living arrangements, it's clear the child doesn't want to go with the other parent, so the best thing to do is just to stop the contact. Is that the best approach? No, not well, not in my opinion. In fact, I've just written... I've just written a, a divorce journal for kids um, to help children and support them emotionally through the journey. And one of the things that um, I was talking about was this idea of um, when they get to teenagers, they don't always want to go with the other parent. Uh, but it's important to talk to them about building bonds between them. It's important to still see their dad or see their mum. Um, but you have to sort of look at what's their anxiety or what are they not enjoying because it's all about communication and it's all about how you say something and your tone of voice if you say oh they hate coming to your house well that's not really going to be very helpful um, it's about saying look Josh doesn't enjoy at the moment he's going through teenage years he'd rather be with his mates um uh, is there some sort of compromise that we can come to that he goes to your house on a different day for only three hours and then goes out to meet his mates at upper six or you know it's looking at creative ways to acknowledge perhaps and look at the underpinning problem why be a detective be an emotional detective like sherlock or something <laughs> to try and work out what is underpinning that behavior 
Why are they behaving like that? Are they feeling insecure? Are they angry? Do they need more time? Are you too preoccupied with your own stresses and strains of the divorce to not really be spending fun, laughter, joy with your children? Because you still can have fun and live a normal life, even though you might be very stressed at this time. And children don't need that, um, you know, that real pressure on them to be too grown up too quickly. So be looking, see yourself as an emotional detective like Sherlock or I don't know whoever they are, uh, Luther, and uh, work out what's causing your child's distress and why they don't want to spend time with their parent. And then be mindful because perhaps, I don't know, in some circumstances, perhaps dad's drinking too much or mum is, you know, on the phone too much. I don't know, you know. So then if there's a problem, then you're on top of it and you can try and do something about it. Sure, sure. And I think you've mentioned before that sometimes um, the... Uh, the separation isn't the main issue um, going on in the, the life of the children and it's, it's being aware that something else might be going on anyway. The other thing is, if they're young and they've actually got separation, it's like they miss you when you're not there. Uh, I was just writing in my journal for, for, for kids. I thought, then bring a photograph or bring a teddy or bring something uh, of mum's, a piece of jewellery or something, or bring something of dad's with you to the other person's house so that you feel that they're there. Also, Skype is a wonderful thing and mobile phones are marvellous for FaceTime and things like that. So if you have separation anxiety where you are a little bit anxious for the weekend or the day or the night that you're with your other parent, there are ways, even texts, WhatsApp, you know, contact. It's not like it used to be years and years ago where you just didn't see that person or couldn't contact them. So you can feel connected even when you are with your other parents, you know. Yeah. I mean, you tend, I've certainly seen it myself, you, you've probably seen it as well, where the, the arrangements are such that um, dad says, well, or mum says, this is my time with uh, the, ch the children, so um, you shouldn't be speaking to them uh, and therefore get in the way of that. Yeah, but that's not helpful, is it? <laughs> that's not particularly helpful to the child. So again, you have to think about that. You know, don't be selfish with your time. Uh, your child, you know, if they, if you were living together, you wouldn't say, "Oh, well, you've spent half an hour extra with him than I've had." Uh, you have more of an ebb and flow. And if you put the children again at the centre of this, and just ask yourself this question: What's the what would love do now? What, what's the best thing for my son or my daughter right now? And that'll shift your perception into, oh, I think they want to talk to their mum for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and thinking back, of, again, we mentioned separation anxiety before. How does that play out? How, how would parents recognise um, that their child or children are suffering from separation anxiety? Well, it's quite obvious to see. They cling to you. They don't want to go. They might have a tummy ache or a headache or they constantly kind of get, you know, complain of not being well um, because they don't want to go or they don't want to leave you or whatever it might be. And again, um, it's a good idea to try and talk about these things and, and, and understand them and explain them to your children. So I always think that children feel heard. They feel understood. And you can say, you know, while you are feeling a bit anxious about going to see dad um it's nice for you to spend time with him and i'm only here and you know i'm only peeling potatoes and watching a you know box set it's not wild and exciting over here tonight while you go and spend some nice time with your mum or your dad or whatever it might be but acknowledge it never poo-hoo a child's emotion because that doesn't really serve them that makes them feel 
as if they've done something wrong or they feel guilty about these emotions. They are their own emotions. And if you handle it positively, if you're upbeat and kind of matter of fact about stuff, they take your lead from you and you go, no, it'll be great. You'll have a lovely time. I'm just watching the TV or whatever you're doing. Uh, and, and I'll see you on Sunday. And, you know, off you go. Sure, sure. Uh, what about though if um, the separation anxiety gets a bit more serious? Is there a point at which you, you might think about getting some external assistance? Well, yes, of course. I mean, I work with children who are, who feel anxious about the, the changes and the separation. Um, so it's about then letting them express their emotions, uh, looking at what's causing it. Often, when I work with kids, I ask them, what would make you feel better? So there's a very easy question for a parent to ask their own child, uh, acknowledge the emotion and say, oh, I, I, you know, how are you feeling? They say, I'm feeling anxious. I don't like leaving you or whatever it might be. So what can we do to help you? Because children come up very inventively with their own answers. And nine times out of 10, I'm amazed because I was a teacher and stuff for so many years. I ask the kids and they'll tell you, but parents don't think to ask their kids. They, they try and sort everything out for them, fix it and, you know, take control. Just a soft question about what do you think we can do? We've got a bit of a problem here. What would you like to see? And then work around it, yeah. you know. And obviously, I would imagine it's quite important not to have the children feel that they are being asked to make a decision, for example. It depends on their age, doesn't it, yeah. as well. I think they feel heard. I mean, I remember when I was working with an eight-year-old, she didn't feel she had any power. And in my journal that I've just done, I've done a whole exercise on helplessness. Because children feel a bit helpless. Because these major life changes are done by grown-ups, and they've got no say in the matter, whether they're eight or 18 oh, right, so we're moving and, and, you know, big life changes. And they, that can be quite uh, distressing because you feel helpless. So a way around that helplessness is sometimes to empower them with some decision-making, age-appropriate and maturity, and also whether you think it's a good idea, of course. But it's that sort of help them become part of some of the process that's appropriate and, 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 and relevant because then they will feel that they've got some sort of input and they're not so helpless. So they don't feel so angry and they don't feel so frightened. So yeah. again, think about that. Sure, sure. So you, you mentioned before uh, some coaching uh, and I'm wondering how parenting apart classes or coaching might help in this situation. You also mentioned NLP. Do you to expand a wee bit on that? Yes, well, I'm trained by Paul McKenna. I'm a trained uh, neuro-linguistic programmer, which is a horrible word, but it's about <laughs> the study of excellence. And it's the study of how you control thoughts in your own mind, how you uh, view the world, and how you can turn negative experiences into somewhat more positive. I'm not talking Pollyanna now. <laughs> I'm talking about how to turn things around so you see them in perhaps a slightly different way and often people go oh, I hadn't thought of it like that I mean I do an exercise where I put some paper on the floor with different shoes on it I said stand on that as your husband tell me what you see tell me what you hear tell me how you feel that is so powerful to stand on a piece of paper literally and talk as if you are your ex or your you know your wife or your husband the, the clarity people get well I never thought of it like that before you thought, oh wow and then you can do it from your child's point of view and your other child's point of view and then the other really powerful one is to stand on a pair of independent shoes uh, a wise old 
person who has no vested interest in any of this is just observing you but it's got great wisdom what would they see what would they say how would they guide you simple exercise that i do with people like that transforms families they go oh i've got great insight i've got great clarity great thought so that's the sort of nlp stuff that i do uh, and then i've got all sorts of different techniques and strategies and things that i've worked on and created and every family is slightly unique and different not all one size fits all necessarily so when people work with me they should feel it's a conversation but i'm moving them forward therapy it's not therapy it's coaching therapy is looking back right looking in the rear view mirror trying to drive forward and while there is a place for that sometimes it's too painful to go back there and also it doesn't really help you move forward about where you've got to try and get to so my whole approach is acknowledging where you are now acknowledging what's happened but looking to where would you like to be next and so it's empowering you to make better choices and to have a compelling future once you get through this very dramatic stressful and challenging time where are you trying to get to and if you know where you're trying to get to even put up a pic with one of my clients i got her to go on zoopla and get out a picture of a sort of a house that would be what she would like you know in her area and just put it on the fridge or something so she sort of knew what she was trying to get to and if you write down a few key things that you feel you would like to achieve from this process that seem you know fair and that's what you'd like to achieve then write them down and then you can start walking towards them with your lawyer or with your support system around you so that you come through this process you know and you you, you you're looking ahead not always looking back and that doesn't help i don't think so that's my approach to it coaching people from where they are now to where they would like to be making sure the children are okay but making sure you're okay first because you're the primary carer and what about the children you mentioned that you've um, spoken with children as well is there a case of oh yeah i work with families yeah. families right and would it be with the children and the parents together or separately yeah well i do you know, I'm very flexible. I do whatever it takes. Um, I work with mum on her own sometimes for a few, you know, six weeks while you go through the process. I've got a kind of a plan, but we always start wherever the person is at. Although, you know, it looks like we're going through a system. If you're at this at eight, we just start there. And then I sometimes work with mum and the children. Or I can work with the whole family, look at how to tell the, the family. And, you know, the, the, like I've said to you, how to say it, where to say it, tone of voice what you want to get over uh, so i work very flexibly you know and um sometimes i work with parents co-parenting helping them through that minefield of getting it right for the sake of the kids and i am that soundboard uh, you know i don't judge people i'm there to help people and support them i don't judge them so it's about trying to get it right so that everyone comes out of the process as best they can Sure. And do you tend to find it's mainly women that come to you or do you think there's a, a, a different mix there? Well, it, yeah, it, it tends to be women because um, they're very, we're a more, we're more emotional creatures. Um, men actually benefit hugely from it because women have a great um, emotional friendship circle. Women are very good at maintaining relationships. Uh, often, when I do work with men, it's because they don't. When they go to the pub or they go down the squash court or the cricket club and they go, oh, you know, I'm separated or I'm divorced. Oh, mate, that's terrible. Anyway, Chelsea did well on Fridays. And, you know, what do you think about who's going to win the league? 
So they go quickly off the emotional stuff. And a lot of men find that they suffer quite a lot because they're emotionally in huge pain. They're distressed about, you know, what's happened, but they don't have an outlet for it. So when I work with men, I often find it's, it's a, a, a nice it's a good thing because they feel supported and nurtured. It's free from finger pointing. There's no judgment attached to it. It's all about moving you forward and helping you so that you sometimes, when you're talking to me, get you, you find the own answers to your own questions, actually, some of the time, because I'm just asking the questions to help you find your own answers and, get, you know, to take yourself forward in a very challenging time. Sure. And the the kind of coaching that you would provide, is that the kind of thing that could be offered online as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, most of my work, I'm, I work globally. So I do all my work on, well, not all of it. I have people come to my practice here in Surrey. But I do an awful lot of my work on FaceTime now, because I've got very trendy, or <laughs> Skype. A lot of stuff is done on Skype. My Australian clients and stuff like that. You know, I'm up at six in the morning, at six in the evening over there, or in South Africa or Canada or wherever it is. So it's about supporting people wherever they're at and whatever they need. And there's no fixed time. You know, it's not like you have to come for a certain length of time you come for as long as you want as long as it serves you and you feel that you're getting the benefit from it and then people come through that process and it's a bit like I offer the stabilizers on the bike and then you ride off without the stabilizers after a little while it's not therapy where you come for years you come for a number of weeks if you want to or talk to me every week for about an hour on the on Skype or on the phone or however you want to face to face and it's about empowering you to help you through a difficult time. Okay, so thanks very much, Sue, for talking to me today. Thanks a lot for your advice. I'm sure it's answered quite a few questions for parents going through separation. Well, it's my pleasure, and I hope that, you know, if I can help in any way, people give me a call or look at my resources. You know, I've got all these conversational cards. I've got coaching. I've got blogs. It's all about empowering families to make sure that they come through this very challenging time in the best way they can. So thank you very much for the opportunity to chat about how perhaps I can help other people. Brilliant. And you've been watching and listening to Videocam and Audiocam for Cam Scotland. You've been listening to Audiocam with Cam Scotland. For more interviews and links to our mediators, subscribe on iTunes and thanks for listening.